Jackson Elias, an occasional podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror movies, and horror gaming in general. So today we're going to talk about what got us into H.P. Lovecraft and Call of Cthulhu. Um, who are we going to start with? Should we start with you, Scott? Why not? Okay, so first on the list, Scott Dorwood. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, what got me into Lovecraft in the first place was I, when I was a kid, I used to love reading, well, I still do, but I used to love reading horror short stories. I got into reading those at a comparatively young age through, um, through reading, I, I started out with, with Edgar Allan Poe and Roald Dahl, um, when I was, you know, about eight or nine. Um, I, I remember reading Roald Dahl's Roll Jelly when I was about that age and it, it freaked me out. So what age were you when you first read Poe? Uh, about eight. Gosh. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I used to uh, pick up every collection of horror short stories that I could find. And so, you know, that, that included things like the, the pan books of horror stories and the Fontana uh, ghost stories and horror stories. And, you know, everything else that came out at the time. And... I, I remember there were a few stories that I came across that stuck with me at that time that were written by Lovecraft. And yeah, I, I never quite, you know, until I came to Call of Cthulhu later on, I never quite pieced them all together as being by the same writer. But they were three stories that I remembered very powerfully. Um, the, the first one of his I read was The Evil Clergyman uh, in, in some collection, which, you know, to, to be honest, isn't a very good story. It's a minor story of his, but it was mm. just significantly different in style and content to everything else. You know, all these fairly mundane ghost stories and tales of re- revenge. This, this was just something weird. Uh, it had inexplicable elements in it and it just surprised me. Um, right. So it stood out to you even at that in yeah, the age. Yeah. 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 I was probably about 10 when I read that or maybe 11. Um, oh right, yeah. and yeah, they, then around the same time in another anthology, I found the Moonbog, uh, which again was a, a very weird story. It had you know some of the same atmosphere as Poe, uh, who I loved, but yeah, it, it it just again seemed much weirder. Um, and and the one that finally sold me on him was the Outsider. Mm. Uh, which, you know, is a bit more of a classic than the other two. But, you know, again, I, I stumbled across that in some anthology, and I you know, just thought, wow. And, you know, of course, you know, years later when I sat down and, you know, started reading collections of Lovecraft stories, you know, all of these came back to me as, as ones that I'd read. So, Matt, um, how did you first come across Lovecraft? Oh, um, from a different perspective, I actually came across him through the game called Cthulhu first. So you played the game first? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it was not all that long after I got into RPGs in general. Um, this is going back to the heady days of just before my GCSE exams. So when I was 16, uh, locking myself away for the best part of three weeks with piles of revision notes, listening to music late on into the night and desperately hoping to keep all that information crammed in there lest I have 
want the IO to go into or go go in one ear and another one pops out the other one to make uh, to make room. But it was a friend of mine who invited me along to at that time it's actually a live action game of Vampire the Masquerade, and I then started to get into the gaming culture that way. And it was one of the friends that I've met through the vampire community that suggested, well, you seem to like investigative games. Your your gameplay is very much that of the investigator going down to hunt and solve puzzles. Um, you might like this. And so he lent me a copy of what was at the time the fifth edition rule, uh, the fifth 5.5 rulebook. And I read through it and was pretty captivated, to be honest. It was something different that I hadn't come across and pretty much suited exactly the kind of thing that I wanted from a game. So I went out to track down the that's some of the most easily collectible um, collections of his work, which I believe were HarperCollins had released a three-volume set as Amounts of Madness and other stories, yeah. um, Dagon, uh, the Macabre Tales, and then The Haunter of the Dark as the last as the last one of the set. Um, I think they did a few others that were like New Tales of the Cthulhu Mythos, some of the more obscure Lovecraft stories, yeah. and the Durl yeah. of, um, Mask and Trail of Cthulhu. Uh, and Ramsey Campbell's cold print as well. That's it, yeah. yeah. So we're talking sort of late 90s. Um, It'd be 2000. My GCSEs were in August 2000. Yeah. yeah. Shaking, shake, shaking your head looking at the youngster in the group. The first stories of which I read, I decided to try to read them chronologically. So I started off with Dagon and the Temple, in particular the Temple was one that, again, just the imagery of it captured exactly what I wanted from fiction. Mm. How about you, Paul? Uh, I was, <clears throat> after um, doing my art foundation course, I had a year in Plymouth, uh, living with some friends down there, and one of the friends that I'd started role-playing game, gaming with recommend... Now, as I look back, I'm, I was thinking about this. I'm not sure if we played a game called Cthulhu first, or I read one of his stories first. I think he, um, I think he lent me one of those. I think it was Grafton published them. Those those paperback um, of uh, the one with the name escapes me. Uh, Pickman's yeah. The one I started with was Pickman's model. Uh, my friend Phil said, you, know, you should read this." So um, late one night went up to bed and read it. And, yeah, that, that genuinely did, did give me the creeps. I was um, quite scared by that. Well, yeah, it seems like a very appropriate story for an art <laughs> student as well. Yes, I suppose so. I'd never thought about that. Um, and um, <clears throat> I really enjoyed reading it. And I don't find Lovecraft stories generally frightening in terms of Looking back on the scary movies that we talked about, I don't usually get that reaction from Lovecraft stories. I usually enjoy them more than being scared by them. But that first time I read that, I, I was, it did um, touch a nerve, uh, a bit scared. Then I think I went on to, I was probably fairly lazy and looked through the book for the shortest one. And that was probably The Outsider, which um, I, I really enjoyed. And from there, I think I just went on to read. Others and it was back in those days that um, I'm talking kind of mid to late 80s. Uh, the next year I was up at college in Yorkshire and the, the streets just seemed to be lined with second hand shops selling um, books for like 20 or 30 pence a copy. And I'd have to wade through the hundreds of copies of Dennis Wheatley 
um, which you don't see now at all. I don't yeah. see many second-hand bookshops, to be honest. But um, um, but yeah, you could pick up Lovecraft books, and uh, there was one particular shop in Huddersfield, um, in which a friend told me just a few weeks beforehand somebody had found an original Arkham House copy of a Lovecraft oh, um, book, which uh, you know. I never found one, but I did plenty of rooting through bookshelves. If I'd have spent as much time reading as I spent rooting through second-hand <laughs> bookshelves, I'd have probably read a lot more. But, um, yeah, that was how I started. Yeah, I, I had a similar experience there. there. There was a second-hand bookshop I used to go to in Dundee when I was a student there on the old Hawk Hill. I, I can't remember the name of the shop, but they used to get in loads and loads of genre paperbacks. I mean, you know, people would just sell off their collections. And there were a lot of the old Panther uh, books mm. uh, and so on from the, the 60s and 70s. And they used to sell these off for, you know, 10, 20 pence. And, yeah. You know, be, being an impoverished student, that was about all I could pay for books. And so, yeah, I built up a huge collection of um, reprints of weird tale stories, um, Fritz Leiber, um, uh, Clark Ashton Smith. And it was great. Maybe enough buy those old Panther editions with the great old covers. And oh, I think it's uh, wonderful. Yes, yeah, yes. I, I, I really do miss that. I still get my fix of going to Hay on Y every so often to try and track down a book that's popped up on my list that I want to get hold of. I think the last time I went there, uh, all the time before last, when I was looking, um, had a specific list in mind, I was trying to track down the last of a couple of sets of Tony Hillerman novels. Admittedly, um, not in the horror genre, but, um, but they were books that were somewhat hard to get over here before um, imports started to happen more regularly, or they started to actually print them over here in a British British edition. Um, for those that don't know um, Hillman, he's a American crime thriller writer that writes uh, predominantly set in the um, Native American Indian, uh, one of the reservations in Texas, Arizona, somewhere that way. I can't remember, uh, remembering that's been a while since I picked them up. But again, they're quite popular in America, but trying to find them over here, most people would say, who is it? I've never heard of him. But like John Sanford as well, before they restarted reprinting his stuff over here. Yeah, I mean, with the, with the internet, it's, you can just kind of order any books that you want, really, even yeah. the, the more obscure ones. Whereas back in that pre-internet days, it was kind of a case of rooting around second-hand bookshops. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, it was quite good when I was living in New York uh, because there were a few places where I could get unusual books there. And this this is what allowed me to, to feed my growing, not just Lovecraft, but Lovecraftian writer's habit. Um, I mean, you know, the, the, the Forbidden Planet used to be really good because they, they'd stock a lot of uh, rare and sometimes out-of-print books. And I got a lot of my Arkham House collection from there. But for the, for the, for the out-of-print stuff, I, I remember there was this place... I think it was in Greenwich Village called the Fantasy Archive um, that, that was predominantly mail order. I, I remember I went down there with my friend Sol the first time and the you know, we, we got the address out of uh, an issue of Crypto Cthulhu or something. And, you know, we went down there thinking it was a bookshop and it was this guy's apartment. Oh, just doing mail order. Yeah. yeah. And, and he was genuinely surprised to see us, but he let us in. And, um, th- this guy was amazing. I, we, we went there a few times and we, we always enjoyed talking to him, but he was a walking encyclopedia of, you know, the publishing history and, uh, genre books. And he had this, you know, he worked out of this apartment that was just lined with, with bookshelves and freestanding bookshelves. And, you know, he, he was this, this middle-aged man who always wore a T-shirt with uh, the Hannes Bock uh, image of Pigman's model on it. 
And it was it was almost unnatural. You'd name any book to him that you'd you'd heard about, and without even looking, he'd just reach out and just pull it off shelf next to him. Another cool Philly character right there. Yeah, and and yeah, I, I, his books were never cheap, but you know, I ended up buying a lot of rare and out of print stuff. Mm. And yeah, they, they, this was the way you had to do things before the internet. Yeah, yeah. So Scott, you talked about um, sort of discovering Lovecraft quite young then I, I mean I was um, I think I was about what was I 18 19 when I first encountered Lovecraft stories uh, so you encountered them in your early teens yeah yeah well, and well, then slightly, young, slightly younger so you're, we're talking pre uh, Call of Cthulhu the role-playing game oh yes by quite a few years so when how did you come across Call of Cthulhu as a role-playing game or, or other role-playing games what led to that well I went to boarding school in England um, and uh, there, I, I, I was playing a computer game one day uh, on uh, a, a very old 8-bit computer, um, and one of the other, it was some kind of fantasy game, and there was one of the other kids there who, who saw what I was playing and said, oh, if you like that, have you ever played Dungeons and & Dragons? And I said, no. And he said, oh, okay, well, I'll set up a game. And so you know, a few of us uh, sat around in this room in the boarding house and played D&D. I loved it. Um, but, yeah, I, I decided I wanted to try a few different games. And I, I, I picked up a copy of White Dwarf at the time, and they mentioned there was this new role-playing game the Games Workshop had just got the license for called Call of Cthulhu. This was 83 or so. Um, and so I, I went down to you know the nearest game shop and, and bought a copy. Um, and, yeah, it, it was so phenomenally different from any other RPG I'd seen at the time. Well, I, I only knew D&D and Traveller. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was a different style of play. It was uh, it wasn't just all about combat. Um, and yeah, it the you know being a long time horror fan, the the content appealed to me a hell of a lot more. Um, and were and you so, running the games, or were you playing them? No, I I, I started out GMing. Um, it, it was some time before I actually got to play Call of Cthulhu. Um, I I didn't get to play a game when I was at boarding school, but you know, I went back to New York. And um, I, I managed to get a game group together there from people on various uh, bulletin board systems. Um, so um, we, we we met in my parents' apartment and uh, we sat down and played it for the first time. And and yeah, I, yeah, almost everyone who was at the game that time ended up becoming a friend of mine, and we we started a regular group. And uh, it was fantastic. But the, I remember there was one guy who came along uh, whose name was also Scott. Um, and he only came along for the one session, and he he'd only played D and D before, and didn't really quite get his head around what you know the difference was with Call of Cthulhu. And I still remember I him, him going through his character sheet and, and looking at all the combat skills. And said, oh, headbutt! What's headbutt? And so I explained what headbutt was, and oh, okay, that sounds cool. So he put lots of points in that. And yeah, I, I can't remember what scenario I was running, but at one point they they were encountering this this nasty gelatinous creature in this this. And so, you know, he said, uh, "Oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll headbutt it." And so he rolls and succeeds. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking through the stats of this creature and this passive attack and so on. And so yeah, I, probably unfairly, I just said, "Okay, well, everyone else kind of sees your body recoil back in just the stump of the neck." <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, he never came back. That's <laughs> uh, uh, what happens when you headbutt a shotgun. That's <laughs> what happens when you're playing a game of Scott. 
That's quite tame in comparison. <laughs> yeah, well, I was 17 at the time. Has that ever happened again when you run a game for players that never return again? <laughs> Once or twice. <laughs> yeah, I, um, it, it's a running joke that I'm notorious for driving players out in the Milton Keynes Role Playing Club. <laughs> Uh, no comment. <laughs> so, how about you, Matt? Well, I pretty much touched on um, touched on it earlier because my exposure to Lovecraft and Call of Cthulhu were very much sort of hand in hand. Um, gaming for me in general was a way to stay sane while I was um, going through the stress of exams. I would say locking myself away for that um, for that long uh, time. I just needed something to escape from reality, and that's the one thing I love about gaming so much is I can just put this relatively horrible world to a side for one moment and actually ironically go and explore an even darker, more sinister one where humanity means absolutely nothing. Um, Can I just take a step back there then, Matt? So mm-hmm. how did you actually get into role-playing games initially? Uh, mainly because it was a friend of mine noticed how stressed I was getting with um, revising and the pressure of exams and so literally just invited me out one night to go to this vampire lark that was running on the other side of town. All right. And so that was that's what I met other gamers and was exposed. So you were at uni then, or at school? Uh, at school, at GCSE. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. 16, 17, yeah, sixteen at that time. Yeah. yeah, it was seventeen when I really then started. When I was then introduced to the role playing game, and from there went and started hunting um, down the source material and then started reading Lovecraft, Lovecraft books. Mm. Oh, how, how did you get into role playing then, and, and Call of Cthulhu? Um. There was a few years between the two. I, I'd started off um, in the early 80s with D&D at school. Um, uh, same friend that actually recommended a few years later that I read some Lovecraft recommended to me that uh, we get together and play a game of Dungeons & Dragons with some sixth formers. Um, I didn't really know what it was, but it sounded pretty fun. I always liked playing games um, of any sort, be it chess, Monopoly, whatever, if, if I could get into some kind of game, family game, board game, whatever, I love that. So the promise of some sort of game at school sounded great. Um, so me and Phil went along and sat in with a bunch of um, sixth formers who would have been four or five years older than us. So uh, we were really out of our depth. And the... Uh, you know, the amazing imagination of these sixth formers kind of staggered us with their uh, <laughs> uh, characters and, and stories and so on. Um, and, um, yeah, we were kind of captivated by that. So on the following week, I think we set up our own little group. We managed to drag another couple of friends in. And we had these um, really old kind of weird photocopy, photostatted uh, sheets from the, the player's handbook, I think. And I think it was a, a D&D that we were using, so photocopies from the player's handbook and maybe the monster manual. But a lot of it we didn't really, we, we only had some photocopy sheets, so we didn't really know what Burning Hands was, so we just kind of made up what it did, um, how much damage it dealt and so on. So a lot of it was kind of on the fly. Um, but every Friday evening for, a, I guess, a couple of hours, we'd gather in the school canteen at the end of the week and... Um, and that would be the kind of cornerstone of my um, school life, really. <laughs> um, then after school, yeah, a, a couple of years later, after leaving school, I was down in Plymouth with uh, sharing a house with Phil. And um, that was when, we'd, I mean, we played quite a lot of different games by that point. As the 80s went on, more and more and more titles were sort of published. But I haven't come across Call of Cthulhu. I must have seen it in White Dwarf, but 
hadn't kind of um, picked out and read it. And Phil suggested I get a copy, so I went along. There was a um, game store in in Plymouth. I've no idea what it was called, but um, yeah, I picked up the old box copy of I think second edition, um, and it got the the white second edition Call of Cthulhu paperback book in it. It got the uh, Keeps Companion number one. The, um, the Investigator's Guide to the 1920s. Yeah, the yeah, one, yeah, I think so. Yeah, the one with the great um, sort of fold-out thing of the um, the airship mm-hmm. and the world map mm-hmm. and all those things. And a set of dice. I don't think it had the dice with it. It mm-hmm. was a second hand. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, the various bits in it. That, uh, um, and I think the first scenario that... I think it was me that ran the first scenario for Phil, just one keeper, one player, and I ran Paper Chase out the back of the... Uh, I think it was the Keeper's Companion. Yes. Um, or the Call of Cthulhu Companion, or whatever it was called. Um, and it's a really quite short scenario. Um, I don't think there was any combat in it. We just, it just ended up being a really entertaining story. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's so different to the uh, all the other role-playing games that we've played. We've played Champions, Dungeons & Dragons, um, and various others. Um, but this one just seemed so different, um, and yeah, really sort of captured our imagination. And it seemed like one in which you could um, frame pretty much any story you wanted. Um, the rules seemed very flexible, and the situations into which you could fit it seemed so flexible. So I'd, we maybe played a few published ones, but then a lot of the time we were just making up our own stories. Um, either modern day or 20s or whatever um, and, and using the rules for that. So Scott did you stick with Call of Cthulhu over the years? I, I, out of all the games that I ran in the 80s I, you know, Call of Cthulhu dominated there, there were other games I, I played and ran. I, I played a lot of hero system games at the time, uh, Champions and Fantasy Hero mainly um, but uh, yeah, I kept coming back to Call of Cthulhu, and you know, I ran a lot of the the published campaigns at the time, and a lot of the published one shot adventures. Uh, yeah, wrote a few of my own, and you know, had a hell of a lot of fun doing so. But um, that 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 sort of petered out a bit uh, towards the end of the eighties, um, because I moved to the UK in eighty eight, and I found a different gaming group called gradually managed to acquire a different gaming group and they they didn't really go for call of cthulhu um so we played things like warhammer and cyberpunk and um traveler 2300 and uh oh yeah, yeah. They, 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 a lot of them worked for the mod so they tended to like more militaristic games which mm. you know, largely bored me silly um so yeah they, then after that i moved to milton Keynes, and i, I didn't have a gaming group here uh, so for 10 years, I just stopped role-playing. Uh, and then when I got back into role-playing games again, um, it took me a long time to to actually get around to try and call it Cthulhu again. In fact, yeah, it was you, Paul, I think, who, who actually got me playing it again right. um, you know, by running it at conventions. and um, We played some at the club as well, I think. Yeah. Walker and the oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Yes, we played, we played yeah. Walker in the Wastes, and and then Robin ran Beyond the Mountains of Madness. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. So so yes, yeah, I gradually fell back into playing it and, and running it, um, and yes, yes, and we're, we're, here we are. Yeah. So for me, it's uh, 
which Vampire provided that platform that everyone else I've met in gaming is all stemmed from that. Um, that was various other people had like had mentioned. So, say a friend of mine said, "Oh, this is your particular game style. This, therefore, you might like this." And then as other people came into the mix, because um, at one point we, we must have had at least a hundred players in that in that LARP game. It was one. Yeah, it was seriously big. I mean, we took over the whole of an upstairs of a one of the pubs in Wolverton. I think it's called the Old Vic. Um, there's a series, I think it's now been turned into apartments, but they've suddenly so put multiple homes up there, but there was a huge hall they had up there, and plus other side rooms, and we just took over the whole lot, so there, there were at least 100 active players on the books at that point. And in such a in such a wide variety of people, you got exposed to numerous different people with say, different tastes and brought their own things into the mix. And uh, one couple that turned uh, turned up at the games and one of the socials that we had around it mentioned um, particularly one game that I discovered online and I thought, oh, that's quite interesting. I'd like to I'd like to play that if I ever got a chance to actually someone that a has a copy of the rule book because it was out of print by that point and I hadn't got any chance of getting hold of a copy on a poor student budget. But, um, but so these friends mentioned, oh, we've we'll, we'll just started playing one in Milton Keynes. So oh, okay, this this is probably the only chance I'm going to get to play this. Can you please ask the GM if there's any space in the game of cult that he's running? And so someone in the corner is grinning now. Yeah, yes. that's how I first met Scott. Mm. And so from there, got in, uh, got introduced into the local MKRPG club, which again exposed me to even more games. And eventually, uh, so I took that took that step over the cliff and decided to run Call of Cthulhu myself. Um, mm. But there's been always to that point, I've been waiting for someone to run it for me. Um, either be campaigns or one shots or anything, and so started off as a player, but then thought yeah, actually it'd be quite nice to run. And I think it's actually yourself that kind of pushed me into um, so take that bullet and run something at the convention for once. So I started off running Heaven and Earth at the oh, yes, uh, yeah. Concrete Cow, and then uh, from there thinking of other games I'd like to run, ran a Delta Green scenario, which is actually the one that got me involved in the, in the publishing business to start with when I ran it for Simon Rogers, who was one of the guests of honor that we had. Nice. Yeah, so that got um, got perked his interest, and then got me the uh, got to work on the user terrorists. Yeah, that, that's that's something that it yeah it's it's probably worth mentioning to everyone that yeah I think with all of us we we ended up writing stuff and publishing stuff largely by going to conventions, running games, you know, having people enjoy the stuff we ran, ran writing them up, and you know, ending up making contact with publishers. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was certainly the case for me. Um, in the, I guess in the early 90s, uh, I was was not really aware of gaming conventions. Um, I've been in the in the early 80s. I've been to Games Day down in London and um, um, a, a small gaming convention at York House. In fact, in about 84, oh, um, which is where the Milton Keynes Club now meets. Um, that was the um, Milton Keynes Wargaming Society, I think, that, that ran that convention. Which I think still meets there. I think they do. And they have their convention now in the Milton Keynes Shopping Centre, mm. I think, or they did a few years ago. Oh, As campaign. Campaign. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was in York House. Um, so um, then I guess I went to college. And, yeah, a few of my old friends and myself and... Lucy and my wife would get together for weekends and just sort of play maybe four games over a weekend. Um, and Call of Cthulhu would be a fairly regular game for like Friday evening or a Saturday evening. Um, probably the cornerstone of the uh, of the weekends was Ars Magica. Um, 
that kind of ran for a long time and we played things like Werewolf and um, various other games as well, myself running one game and friends running other ones. Um, then as the 90s kind of wore on, I've moved back to Buckingham and yeah, then I got in touch with, uh, through Arcane Magazine, um, I got in touch with a few people because I didn't have a group to play with and I, I really wanted to uh, find some people locally. It was quite difficult at that time to, um, you know, get to, to know, there wasn't, there weren't all the, I don't think there were all the uh, forums online as there are now to kind of meet up with players. It seems mm-hmm. relatively easy now, I imagine. Yes, much um, easier. I think I put an ad in the classified or, or or Matt did, Matt not that is. Um ended up meeting with him and um we played some great again, well Core Cthulhu was kind of cornerstone of that. Um and then that kind of fell by the wayside and then um I think again through a forum or something online, I think it was the Usenet group, the UK RPG Usenet group, I got in touch with Neil. Um, Neil Smith. Neil Smith, who went on to found the Milton Keynes role playing group. Um, and um, yeah, we met up in a pub in Buckingham one evening, and uh, he kind of talked about a plan of setting up a club, and I was a little bit not really sure that would work. But And we didn't seem to have that much overlap in the kind of games we wanted to play, so we never actually ended up getting together to play a game. Um, but then when he kind of did actually push on, and um, set up the, the club. Well, you know everything that's happened since. I mean, we get I don't know, pretty steady kind of couple of dozen members on a regular basis yeah. every week, playing maybe four games at the, at the, the club. So um, you know that's been great. It's been going for about twelve years now. Really? Yeah. Well, time flies. And around that kind of time, the early two thousands, I guess another person I met was Mike Mason. Um, Again, went for a drink in Buckingham, um, new inn down there, and um, obviously we got quite a lot of shared interest. He was pub- that's right. He was publishing the Whisperer at the time, um, and yeah, we kind of kept in touch. And maybe a year or two later, he said that he was um, looking for more people to run games under the banner of the Cult Keepers, um, the um, GM group that he set up, and. Yeah, I joined in with that. And there was a lot of pressure back in those days to, to try and get scenarios accepted to be run. It wasn't just turn up with one and run it. It was submit them to Mike and because he had about, I don't know, six or seven keepers that would select kind of the best scenarios to be run at a convention. So there was a lot of pressure to kind of make them as good as they could. So yours would be one of the ones that got run. Um, so... Uh, yeah, and then we'd go to quite a few conventions, and then I met you, Scott, and you started coming along to the games yeah. as well. So what was there was... Um, well, yeah, well, the first one I went to with you was Continuum, I think. Continuum? What was the other uh, one? Battlemasters. Battlemasters, of course. Battlemasters, yeah. fairly small con, but um, really <laughs> kind of fairly, I don't know, friendly? Yeah, I, it, it was a lot like Continuum. It was in the same place, and a lot of the same people went. But, but it, it was annual, yeah. which was a yes. big bonus. Um, so people would just put it in their diary and know it was going to be there and um, yeah, great memories of that uh, and we had that um, creepy old house next to the venue oh, which yes. was set aside, Mike kind of um, put his foot down and got that set aside strictly for Call of Cthulhu um, which was marvellous 
And was that where you first ran Gatsby in the Great Race? Yeah, that was the, the first time we ran that was um, uh, Charlie Crank was over at a guest as a guest of honour. So I think that was probably Continuum then. Yeah. Hmm. That was maybe the second time we ran it then. So we must have, I think maybe we would have run it once at... Um, Battle Masters. Battle Masters. Yeah, I'm struggling to remember now. Um, but certainly Charlie Crank was over as a guest, and Mike had a word with him. I didn't know Charlie at the time, and um, I was kind of rather staggered when he signed up as a player. Well, staggered is one word, terrified is another. Um, <laughs> didn't you mention that there was one of the cult of keepers? Because, yeah, if, if you haven't played Gatsby in the Great Race, it involves having multiple keepers. And there, 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 there was one of the keepers who was involved with this that was so nervous about it that he threw up beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll leave him nameless. But, uh, yeah, yeah, one of them, one of the, the keepers was uh, rather disturbed by the prospect of running again. I think... If memory serves me correct, that was actually when we ran it at Tentacles in Germany. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty stressful because it was such a different format and you had so many players reliant on you um, and overlapping with other keepers. Um, but I think a little bit of nervous tension is, is good when you come to run a game. If you're too kind of laid back, then, well, for me anyway, that's, that's how I like to do it. If I'm a bit on edge, then uh, I kind of try and turn that nervous energy into a good experience. And, and that's one of the things I like about running com games is that I always find them a more intense experience because of that. I'm sitting down with five people that maybe I don't know at all. Um, and, you know, you give out the sheets and they're kind of looking at you and you've got to put on your best performance, really. I'd like to do that every week for my regular group, but I know that doesn't happen because there's a kind of a, you know, sitting into a comfy chair with some old friends and, yeah, it's well, not the same experience. But it's also the fact that you know everyone there is absolutely focused on the game. Uh, when you're getting together with friends, I mean, you'll sit there, you'll chat for a while beforehand, you'll break for tea, you know, you'll have digressions. But you know, if it's a group of strangers sitting down together to play a game, it's all about the game. Yeah, and you know you've got a four-hour slot. There's no option to carry it on next week. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's partly then why I um, try to break up some of the convention games I've been running over the last couple of years with things like cocktail breaks and stuff, just to help try and lighten the atmosphere, at least for me as much as anyone else. <laughs> lighten um, the atmosphere? Why do you want that? Like, like, get rid of some of the tension, <laughs> at least I made me feel. So there'd be times when I'd be spending up until what, midnight or 2am the morning before rereading the scenario to try and get my complicated framework right in my own head so I didn't have to keep referring back to notes and slowing stuff down in the middle of playing. I'm, I'm lucky if I've written the scenario by then. You put it on a couple of sides of post-it notes. How <laughs> does it take that long? Well, if Matt Nixon were here, he'd be regaling you tales of me uh, on, the, on the night before um, Battle Masters, I think, persuading Lucy to help me stuff envelopes for all the clues for uh, my little sister. <laughs> yes. Um, which was... Uh, I always kind of think those things won't take long. <laughs> How wrong you were. <laughs> yeah, it takes longer than you think. So, Scott, what we've talked about the past, um, you know, strangely enough, we tend to do that a lot. Um, what does the future hold, or the present hold, for you in terms of gaming? Well, well, jumping back to the past for a bit, um, you know, one other thing that happened that, that's kind of led on to, well, kept me into be involved with Cthulhu in different forms was... Um, at conception about six years ago, I met Graham Walmsley, um, and we became friends, uh, and 
Well, we, we've we've done a bit of work together on on a couple of projects. Um, he he published a game called Cthulhu Dark, uh, which um, I, I I wrote a scenario for last year. Um, and yeah, he he also got me interested in Trail of Cthulhu, uh, and I ended up doing a bit of writing for that as well. So you know, I I now find myself writing for three different games with Cthulhu in the name. <laughs> But in terms of actual gaming, you're—I mean, you're, you're at Milton Keynes Club yeah. every week, yeah—and yeah. quite a few conventions over the years. I, I go to a lot of conventions. Yeah. How many uh, conventions do you attend? Oh gosh, I, I, I probably well, I mean, with Concrete Cow taking up, you know, two of them a year two as Saturdays. well. Yeah. Then I, I probably go to six or seven conventions a year. So over the year, I mean, some of those are several days. Yeah. So we're perhaps talking 20 days of conventions. Maybe. And, yeah, I, I tend to run just about every slot I can. So You do? Well, we that, witness that. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> so that probably means I run 40 to 50 convention games a year. Easily, I'd have thought. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You should tally that up one year and just see how many you do actually run. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be exhausted if I do that. <laughs> Take almost as long to start cataloging things. Matt, what about yourself? You, you. I mean, you're a regular at the club. Yeah, indeed. Uh, bike a few conventions. Yeah, I'll, I'll bag a seat in any game of Cthulhu that's run, that's been run. Cause, uh, one of the things that I do like, especially when it comes to published scenarios, I very much like to play them rather than run them. So, say Matt, not our long-suffering keeper, is very, uh, very much in the, in the vein wanting to run, wanting to run the published uh, scenarios. I think he's run quite a few for us now. Mm, Escape, mm. Escape from Innsmouth. Last time you the step. Um, I think you ran Walker in the Waste. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's running Horror and Express for us at the moment. And uh, I think another um, Andy ran Beyond the Madness. Madness again at the club. Yeah. Robin ran it for us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so definitely. I always want to bag a seat on one of the, one of the published campaigns. I mean, when, I mean like, you seem to have scaled back on your role-playing habit a little because the other year when <laughs> when we met you were you seemed to be out every night doing it and every weekend is that oh, true pretty much um again actually still connected with vampire and border darkness games in general that it's virtually every weekend i'm part of the society um was originally uh, the camarilla but then has developed numerous different titles since then like mind's eye society or isles of darkness and they run games pretty regularly um, normally there's at least one game running a weekend, so there'd be either one or two games on a Saturday, then I'd go off to another part of the South and go to another one that'd be on the Sunday and uh, back and forth. And most evenings but, as well? Yeah, either with one-shots or with uh, like the local gaming group or doing other ones other gaming groups that meet together locally. So yeah, it was pretty much almost every night. Because when I remember driving over to um, Beyond the Mountains of Madness game with you and asking you about what the clothes you were wearing, because you were wearing this kind of, I don't remember exactly, kind of, white suit or something like that and I oh, said yeah, yeah. you know what do you wear when you're not um, w- um, playing LARPs and you kind of looked at me strangely as if that was a bizarre question <laughs> like there would be time when you're not playing LARPs yeah <laughs> no so the free, free time is something that I've had to learn to create especially with the amount of writing I've now got on my on my plate that I have to cut back and say sacrifice some of the LARPs that I used to play and they now I now put my time writing for so instead, um, but for instance, I'm working on a trailer Cthulhu project at the moment, which um, should hopefully be done in the next couple of weeks. So like like Scott, I've got kind of my foot in the camp of multiple different versions of the great old one. Whereas, Paul, you're all about the one true game. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, uh, I've tried many others, but uh, you know, 
none of them hold up to the original. Um, no, I, I, um, I mean, I'm, I'm regu fairly regular at the club. Um, maybe not as die-hard as, as you guys. Um, and go to some conventions, but again, probably not as many as yourselves. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at. And obviously doing, spending some time writing. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to going to Gen Con in the summer. Yeah, the annual pilgrimage. Yeah, it'll be my third time out there this year. Well, my second time. I don't know if I'll make it every year, but... Okay. I'll make it one year. <laughs> I, I got bitten by the bug a couple of years ago. I love going over Okay, well, that's us then. Uh, that's our history with Lovecraft and Call of Cthulhu and role-playing in general. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> shall we say goodbye? <laughs> yeah, we've been the good friends of Jackson Elias. We bid you good night. Cheerio. And farewell. Thank you.